Because whatever your worst fears are, they're going to be really unhappy. They're going to think I didn't do my job. They're going to leave and never come back. That stuff's already in your head. Mm. You you trying not to think about it and you not addressing it doesn't make it go away. It's still going to be there. And potentially if the patient's unhappy, you not addressing it doesn't allow it to get worse. They just think I'm unhappy and it's not getting better. So if that's the situation you're already in, if you go and have the slightly difficult conversation or at least open it, the worst case scenario is you're exactly where you thought you were, but th- yeah. those fears are already playing on you already. What often happens is that it's maybe not as bad as you thought. Hi, and welcome to the Practice Builders podcast with me, Rosie Piercy. I'm a chiropractor, clinic director, and practice builder. In every episode, I'm gonna bring you the hints, tips, and lessons I've learned in building my successful clinic to help you build the practice of your dreams. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Practice Builders podcast. Today we have a guest, we have Chris and he is a second generation chiropractor which and clinic director at Seven Oaks and Beckham Chiropractic and patient-centered, he's been running patient-centered training since 2017 and we are here to talk about patient communication Chris aren't we? Absolutely, sounds good. Because it's, it's so important isn't it to get your communication right? And yeah, yeah, I think it's it's something that it's nice working with different chiropractors um, at different stages in their career because most chiropractors graduate like I did thinking I need to learn how to communicate because I don't quite know what I'm saying. Um, and, you know, m- most of them then kind of learn that initiative to start, hopefully. But it's something I think we can always we can always build and refine on. And I, I'm still improving mine now. Um, actually, I remember one of my associates I think she'd been out, she'd been with us about three, four years. She started as a new graduate and she asked me a question saying, something to do with how would you explain this or that? And she said, well, I was doing this, but it didn't work. And I said, ah, yeah, I would probably do that differently. Mm. And she looked and went, you told me to do it this way. <laughs> I was like, yeah, when? She's like, a couple of years ago. I was like, well, yeah, that was a couple of years. I said, if I'm telling you the same thing in two, three years, you should probably find someone else to learn from. So um, I think it's really, really key for the patients, but it's just, I find it fascinating. I think there's always more stuff to learn as well. Um, and I find it's really it's beneficial for me as a practitioner as well. The better I've learned to communicate and connect with patients, like the more fulfilling practices go. I, I don't seem to get these difficult patients anymore. Yeah. They all must go and see somebody else. Cause I don't <laughs> like you get difficult situations. Sure. But um, I think learning how to understand and connect with people, it's made my job easier and just less frustration as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, I, I mean, I found that, that, that as I've gone through practice my what I've said I mean there's some things that I think about that I used to say that I actually now cringe and go obviously I'm yeah. you know, I'm going red <laughs> now just thinking about it that I used to say and it changes as you get more experience and do you think it's confidence as well to say things to people yeah I think confidence is really key and that's something that again with the new graduates that's they're often kind of aware they're lacking they've got all these skills to learn but then in front of the patient they're juggling all this stuff mentally, but they're thinking, I've got to also seem like I know what I'm doing in the moment right now. Um, and, you know, as, as hopefully, you know, if they get a good start and they get that mentoring, that will happen quicker. Um, the confidence is really a key part, but it's not, it's not the be all and end all. And I think we want to be a little bit careful with confidence sometimes because it, it's a bit of a spectrum. And if we seem more confident in certain areas, but the patient doesn't feel that's backed up by expertise, that can sometimes go the other way. Um, 
Yeah, so the confidence is definitely a key element of it, I think. And that's something that, you know, hopefully the first couple of years, most cars are getting a good foundation in that. But then we need to just think about, is that matter the skills? Is that, you know, does the patient feel the confidence is justified, I guess, would be the way to put it. So how do you, what are the kind of main communication errors, would you say, that you see people doing? Is it being, what, 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 can you give me an example of something that you've seen people doing badly wrong or you commonly see people making mistakes on? For justifying things. Um, so, for example, the, the report of findings. Uh, my report of findings now is way, I call it a minimalist mm-hmm. report of findings. So when I'm giving my recommendations, I say way less than I used to yeah. because I used to explain a lot more. I used to think that if the patient just knew what I knew, they would do what I would do. So if I can cram all this logic into their brain, they'll naturally make the decisions that I think they should make. Yeah. And most people who've tried this and reflected on it, learn it doesn't really work that way. No. <laughs> um, and we tend to, you know, and I, I do believe in education. I always want to add this disclaimer of I'm not saying forget patient education. I think it's a critical part of what any clinician does. But I think we often try and front load it. Yeah. We go, right, okay, day one, day two, I'm going to cram all the education in right now. And it just goes way over their heads. Um, and the best case scenario is they don't remember most of it. Yeah. But it seemed, it's like, okay, they, I don't remember what he said, but he seemed like he knew what he was on about. But sometimes it can actually backfire, I think. And it can seem like we're, you know, we need them to understand it. And that, it can knock their confidence in us because it's sort of, it can seem a little bit, needy is a strong word but it actually it undermines their sense of confidence in us because we're we're trying to over talk I think so that's that's a really big one and I you know everything I, I teach chiropractors and I say I've learned this through mistakes I I used to give really long report of findings and I'd sit patients down and get the diagrams out and they're just sat there going like can you help me <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> no, I, I would agree I I don't say very much now at all I say this is what you know this is what I think is wrong in a very basic, mm. this is a bit tight. This is not moving. This is not doing what we want. This pattern is wrong. We're going to do this and we're going to do it like this. And it's going to take this long and you've got to do this. And they go, yeah, because yeah. They, don't, they don't need, like if we go to like, if I go to a mechanic, I don't go and ask the, you know, the, the garage to explain to me what they've done to my air conditioning system. Yeah. I just want the outline of, is it better? Yeah, okay. does it work? I Can I have I my car yeah. back? Anything more than that, I don't <laughs> need to know because we're the you know we're the ones in charge in a way, aren't we? We're the saying this is what we want to do, mm. yes or no? <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny. I used that exact metaphor. Um, I think this might be the same associate actually. That she was saying she's like, but like, why don't they care? Like, this is really important. It's their health. Why aren't they that interested? And I, I used that metaphor. I said, look, I'm not a car guy my car's making a weird sound i'll take it to the mechanic i don't care what's wrong i just care can you fix it yeah. can i please have my car back today or if not soon as possible and how much is it going to cost yeah. and my mechanic now is a lovely guy but he does kind of he wants to explain the ins and outs about what happened and what i do is i don't want to look like an idiot because i'm somewhat embarrassed that i'm a you know guy in his 30s who doesn't know how a car works so i just nod and smile and go oh yeah oh yeah the piston oh that's backing up yeah. uh, that ex- yeah no totally get it. and the whole time i'm just thinking like this better end in you saying you can fix the car because that's that's all i really care about and i think our patients do the same they will nod and smile because they don't want to appear rude mm. some aren't that fast some of the disagreeable ones will i've had one or two cut me off and be like yeah 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 like what are we actually going to do 
but the vast majority don't want to seem rude and they don't want to seem disinterested and all your enthusiasm makes them think well this is pretty important I should probably know this but yeah. it's so over their head and then and then we get annoyed because visit three four five they're going so so what's the problem what's actually wrong what are you doing when am I coming back and you're thinking I told you all of this yeah but you told them all of that and then a whole load of other stuff as well and it just got lost in the in the kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. But that's the thing; they'll they'll want to mislead you a bit because they don't want to hurt your feelings. I think. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, and they and they're not responsible for our feelings, are they? That's like they, no, no. <laughs> I don't know if you found this. Like when I talk to um, kind of medical doctors, like consultants, I don't know if you found that the more senior the doctor gets, the less complicated words they've used, and the more laid back they are. So my my um my youngest had to go into hospital when he was born because he lost he had reflux and cow's milk protein nothing serious but we had to go into hospital and it was really interesting because like the junior doctors were going and the consultants came around well he just doesn't like dairy does he so we'll take him off that give him a bit of this he'll be fine blah blah blah, blah. off we go and they're just because yeah. they've got they've kind of transcended that need to prove themselves yeah no and i actually from a from a clinical learning lesson it was really interesting i was like I'm going to talk like a consultant does. You know, I'm not Absolutely. going to use the word long words because people don't want to hear them. You know, and you'll have the odd patient who's maybe more med- like a medical doctor or I don't know, who's more of an interested patient who will ask you questions. And then you can bring out all the stuff because they want yeah. to know. And then I always usually find that I haven't explained it to someone for so long <laughs> that I'm going, <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, what, what's my stock answer for this one? Yeah. <laughs> No, I was actually just recording a. I was um, re-recording some of the videos for my online course, um, and that was something I mentioned. Like, this was about forty-five minutes ago. I used that exact example of like the consultant. They they come in, they'll tell you what they think is wrong, but it's super simple. A, they have the expertise. You know, you have to really know something well to be able to simplify it. Yeah. So they have that, but also they're not attached to the outcomes. They don't care if you follow their advice or not. Yeah, it's not that they don't, it's not they don't care about their patients, but they're not emotionally invested. They don't have that. And I think a lot of practitioners, and again, this is something I've struggled with, we can get overly emotionally invested in our patients and it can lead to a bit of a, like a clinical codependency yeah. if we're not careful. And then if they're not getting better, we take that on as our fault. And then also, oh, yeah. you know, and the patients, when they're doing better, we want to get on the roller coaster with them and go, great, we're going up. That's so brilliant. I'm such an amazing clinician, but then if, if you go up with them on the roller coaster, then you, you have to go down with them as well. And I think what the consultant level, are there certain things I could do to maybe mitigate that or prevent that, or maybe respond in a slightly different way, or ideally get in front of it. Okay. You know, I would say if you ever get repeat complaint, not hopefully not big complaints, but if you get repeat critical free feedback from patients, people often say, oh, I'm not happy about this or that, then you need to get in front of that. It doesn't mean that they're right. You know, I, I used to get it with in terms of treatment times because my initial consultation is about 45 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. The next visit, we allowed extra time to go through the plan, the report of findings and this sort of thing. And then subsequent treatments after that were shorter. Yeah. But the problem is that second visit was the same fee as the shorter visits. Yeah. So in their head, oh, okay, I'm paying this much money for this much time. And then visit three, they're going, is that what you're going to do today? And yeah. at that point, their back's up. And I, I can sit there and go, look, you got all the treatment you needed. I actually did more treatment than last time. Mm. It's not about the volume that we do each time. You know, I can sit there and have all my justifications mm. and defences. It doesn't matter because they're not coming back. 
Yeah. I'm not going to change their mind. So what I started doing was getting ahead of it and letting them know the second visit, next time the visit's likely to be a little bit shorter. Like, yeah. here's why. And that way, when it happens, they go, oh, yeah, Chris said that would happen. And I think Instead that's... of then me being on the back foot. So I'd say anytime if you're getting the same repeat uh, critical feedback, you need to get ahead of it. You either change if you think, oh, they've got a valid point, or you don't change, but you let them know this is what's going to happen. That way they're not having any of their expect because that's where complaints come from. Do you think no one complains because their expectations were met? It's only yeah. because, oh, I expected something like, you know, I go to McDonald's and I eat a one pound burger and I feel a bit sick. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> but I go to a really nice fine dining restaurant and I have a lovely bit of fillet steak and it makes me feel sick. My expectations are higher, so I'm more likely to be unhappy there. And do you think that's why saying things like, um, in terms of getting ahead of things, you may be sore after treatment, mm. or I often do, you know, when I do my new patient exam about, about an hour, and I say, well, your next appointment is going to be, will be, it's 20 minutes because we've done all the examination and just get straight to the treatment. So again, that's getting ahead of it, isn't it? And exactly. and, and, and saying, you know, you might feel worse. It's, it's all those things that, that it's important to manage the expectations of patients, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think that's something most of us do a pretty good job with after the first treatment that look, you might feel more sore. You know, not everybody, but most clinicians I work with know that, yeah, tell them that might happen. Otherwise, they're really upset when they wake up worse the next day. Yes. Um, but I think sometimes we don't, something at least, yeah. I don't want to put this, this is something I've learned myself, is I didn't necessarily do a good follow-on job with that okay. at the start of letting them know, okay, you didn't feel sore afterwards this time. That's great. It can still be a bit of a roller coaster. So don't worry if it does feel a bit up and down, you know, over the next year. And I would reiterate that maybe the first few treatments. So if they went, yeah, no, today feels a bit worse and I'm not sure what I did. I can just remind and reiterate, yeah, remember we talked about that. It can be a bit up and down at the start. Don't worry, that's quite normal. Yeah, it's important, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think that, I, I found, I don't know if you found this, that sometimes having that awkward conversation with a patient makes all the difference. Mm, like, you know, yeah. if you have patients who are kind of, they're getting a bit better, they're not getting worse, but they're not getting better like they thought they would, or perhaps like, you, you know, I thought they would. And actually now I say, say to people, are you happy with treatment? Do you think you're getting what you wanted from treatment? Are you happy to carry on? Whereas before, I think I wouldn't have had that conversation because I didn't maybe when I was less experienced, know how to manage it or perhaps I didn't even. Yeah, you're the afraid answer. they might say, yeah, I'm not happy about X, Y, Z. But actually, do you find that having, you know, I think often there's a conversation you or something you feel like you need to say to patients and you don't want to, but yeah. actually saying it makes it, brings it out in the open. If I'm, I'm not sure if I explain it very yeah, well. Yeah, completely. I, the phrase I really like for this is don't, don't let things hide in the fog. Well, that's it's good. Like, it's kind of, <laughs> and it, it always reminds me of sort of like when you're a kid and you're in bed at night and the cupboard doors open a crack. And you can see in that, and inside that is all the monsters and dragons and terrifying. You know, if if you don't conf if you don't have that difficult conversation, it's like the kid just staring at the cupboard door, going, "There's monsters in there." Because whatever your worst fears are, they're going to be really unhappy. They're going to think I didn't do my job. They're going to leave and never come back. That stuff's already in your head. Mm. You know, you trying not to think about it and you not addressing it doesn't make it go away. It's still going to be there. And potentially, if the patient's unhappy, you not addressing it doesn't allow it to get worse they just think I'm unhappy and it's not getting better so if that's the situation you're already in if you go and have the slightly difficult conversation or at least open it the worst case scenario is you're exactly where you thought you were 
but th- yeah. those fears are already playing on you already what often happens is that it's maybe not as bad as you thought it's like oh actually they are quite unhappy they're just having a bit of a tough time that's why they seem a bit down or maybe they are a bit unhappy but you having that conversation and showing them it's okay for you to tell me that because mm. I want to hear that and I'm not going to take it personally and I'm not going to try and change your mind I'm just going to go yeah I understand it's been like this for a while you know the last practitioner you saw you got much quicker results this time that's not happening that must feel really frustrating I understand that you are concerned it's slower progress I get that and just doing that often you see them kind of relax and go oh okay Chris knows how I feel and he's not getting upset or getting defensive or trying to change my mind. And I find doing that often then what happens is then they start coming up for reasons themselves why it's not that bad. Yeah. Say, well, and you know, I know that was 20 years ago and I'm not as young as I was then. Or, and I know you're doing your best. I don't mean to crit-. And then they start coming up with the reasons why it's maybe not that bad. And that's way more powerful than me trying to put my reasons in their head. Um, yeah. And also, yeah, I think the conversation, worst case scenario, you're already where you're at. You're not going to make things worse by by having that conversation with them yeah and I don't think I've had anyone well no one has ever got cross or grumpy or they've either gone as you said done exactly what you said gone well this 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 and this or they've gone actually uh, you know I've, I've had some benefit but not as much as I want and maybe I want to have a pause from treatment and I've gone okay well then yeah. while you're having a pause do x y and z and I'll call you in a month and we'll see how you're getting on yeah. So it's kind of that, it, and then everyone feels better. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, I'm allowed to do that. Yeah, I, one patient in particular I'm seeing at the minute, that's pretty much what we did. She felt like, you know, the treatment would stir things up and it would take a while to settle. And I felt like we were making progress. And my opinion was, let's keep doing this. Her mindset was, no, actually, I'd like to take a few weeks off and let things settle and see how they are. Mm. And so we had a chat about it. I said, well, look, these are two options. She decided to go her way. I said, okay, absolutely. And if you need anything in the meantime, you can give me a call, but we'll touch base in a few weeks. And I can tell she's somebody in particular who a few years ago, I would have struggled with. Like when I first came out, Mm. I'd have been trying to change her mind. And she was one of these amiable people who really doesn't like conflict. So she would have left way earlier. Yeah. But now we're still working together and she actually... You know, she feels safe to come in and tell me how she's feeling and tell me what's going on. And she knows I'm not going to come in and go, yeah, but here's what you should be doing. I'm not going to make her wrong in that sense. And do you think there is a um, a danger of kind of almost, do you feel that, sometimes I feel that there's a pressure that we must always be seeing patients, like we must always put them back in. And yeah. actually it's okay to go, either chiropractic hasn't worked or osteo or physio or whatever it is, or um, let's just take a break. Let's, why don't you do some strengthening exercise and some stretching exercises at home for a month and then we'll see you again. But I don't know if there's that pressure that we must always book people in for this many treatments and do this kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, th- I think we often do. I think a, a lot of us get into healthcare because we're fixers, because <laughs> we want to help people. We want Make to fix everyone people. better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it's, and I think it attracts a certain kind of person who really wants to help people. And we find it quite hard to then go, I'm sorry, I don't think I can help you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, I've done everything. And I, especially when I've seen you a bunch of times, you've come in for a bunch of treatment, you've paid a bunch of money, you know, and I thought it was going to help and it hasn't. And I, I definitely had that early on. Of like, I, I kind of felt like it's a little bit like in a dating metaphor. I kind of strung it out. And it's like I was leading them on because I didn't, I was afraid of breaking them up. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, when that breakup eventually comes, they are not happy with you. For having strung it out they would be much happier with okay it's been a few dates this mm. isn't quite for me you know 
we'll, we'll leave it there. So, and it comes back to having those difficult conversations, I think. It's just sitting down with somebody and going, okay, I was expecting X, but instead we've got Y. And this is where I feel we are. I don't feel that this plan is going to get you where you want to be. So because of that, I'm recommending that we leave it for now, refer you to somebody else, change, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I think we it's hard for us emotionally to do that because it's we want to help people and we don't like letting people down and feeling like we've misled them. And we definitely don't like somebody coming to us with a problem and us going, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to help that. And that's... <laughs> I get where that and it comes from a really good place, but it, it can get in the way of, of, of proper ethical care. And that, that's something I see a lot, actually. The, you know, every profession has its few bad apples. I don't believe there's many of them. Um, I think there's a few, you know, the few who do, they do bad things and everyone talks about it. So it seems like a big thing. But I, I think the vast majority of, of chiropractors, osteos, healthcare professionals generally, you know, are good people. They want to do well, they want to do the right thing. But I think sometimes our fear of being seen as being one of those bad ones gets in the way of us doing the right thing. I think that's quite a big thing because I know that I felt that myself sometimes, you know, I don't want, I don't want people to think this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It comes from a good place, but ultimately that's not being patient centered. That's us putting our own feelings on our own ego in front of the patient's needs. And it, it comes from well-meaning. I don't mean that to say we're egotistical for doing that. Yeah but it does get in the way of what the patient actually needs I think a lot of the time that's quite interesting isn't it because I guess when I think been thinking about it I've been thinking oh I don't want to do this because I don't want to be seen to be over treating and being you know a, a, a bad university person one, yeah, yeah. and I've been feeling that that's coming from a patient-centered place but actually you're right it isn't is it it's coming from a, a a me worrying about things place which has got nothing to do with the patient whatsoever yeah I, and the over the over and under treating I I'm convinced that under treating is a bigger problem in in our professions over treating is a more grievous sin like that's yeah. you know deliberately leading somebody on and you know ripping them up like that's obviously awful yeah. and that's not forgivable but the under treating I think happens way more often because the image I have in my head is that most of us it's like we're looking over our shoulder at those those chiropractors or those yeah. bad people and yeah. we're seeing that and going I don't want to be anything like that and we're running completely in the opposite yeah. direction but we're still looking over our shoulder going let's get away from that and we yeah. don't see that we're running off a cliff yeah the opposite of a bad thing isn't always a good thing I think no I think you're totally right and I totally agree with you on that and I think it's something that a trap that I've noticed myself you know in previous years falling into of the are uh, worrying about how often I'm treating and a patient generally yeah. doesn't care like <laughs> they care less than I do or you know yeah. and it's, it's a very interesting way of looking at it just taking a quick break in the show to say that if you're enjoying this, then why not check out Chris's new 14-day video series? It's designed to help you boost um, patients' motivation and compliance to stop early dropouts. The link's in the show notes, so you can check it out once you finish listening. Now back to the show. Um, how much do you find that people's um, talking about their kind of more kind of holistic personal life type thing, all the stress is going on. How much do you find communicating about that affects the kind of um, how well they get on with their treatments? You know, is it something you I ask people about or not really? Or Yeah, so I, um, I I really like it's it's, I don't know if it's so much in other professions, but sort of old school Cairo, they would talk about the three types of stress or the triad of health. So <laughs> you've got physical, chemical and emotional stressors on the body. I find that a really useful framework to talk to patients about you know other things going on in their life so our intake form asks a few basic things like how many fruit and veg do you eat a day what are your stress levels like what's your sleep like just to give a bit of a jumping off point 
Um, but certainly during the history, during the examination, you know, I want to find out these other things as well. And it doesn't mean I'm going to address them all. It doesn't mean I have to be an expert in doing all these things. But it shows the patient, A, I know something about this. B, that I care about them as a person. Mm. And C, it might give us an opportunity to get them better results. Um, I don't know if you know Simon Billings, but he, uh, yeah, I he know has his whole academy, chiropractic nutrition. I've been working on, on that for nearly two years now. And it's great because now I feel like I can approach diet and nutrition from a much higher level mm. than just, you know, telling everyone to eat a bit healthier and, oh, Mediterranean diet. Um, and that's really, really great. But I still say to them, I'm not an expert in this. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you the the 20% of stuff that works for 80% of people. I'll give you like, here's the DIY stuff that you can try. Most people find that helps. If not, I'm going to refer you to an expert. Mm because I'm not an expert in that. And frankly, I don't want to be looking at food diaries every day. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't get me out of bed excited. <laughs> it doesn't mean either. Yeah. And if it does, that's absolutely fine. I think, you know, and I know other people on that course have, are really diving into the nitty gritty and looking yeah. at like how the microbiome, I think that's fascinating. And I love learning about it. I just don't want to do it myself with the patient. And it's I feel like that about efficient rehab. to refer out to other people. <laughs> i feel like that about rehab it's great it's brilliant here's a few exercises don't want to i don't want to do anything more about it than that yeah and i think and that tried of health i found recently works really well that i'll show them look these are the three different types of stress yeah. and maybe all three are relevant or maybe in your case it looks like it's more the nutritional and the physical yeah whatever it might be and i tell them you know there's basic level stuff which is the diy things things that i can give you to do i'm i can give you diy for all three of those we have a program for improving mental health generally reducing anxiety online that they can use um so i can give them diy stuff to do at home for all of them so i say i'm going to give you the basics for whatever you need most people find those help the uh, the next step is to work with an expert now in terms of the physical stress because obviously i'm the expert that's what yeah. we're going to be working on here if I feel either we're not getting the results we expect or you just feel like you need a bit more support with either of the other two, then I can refer you to an expert in those fields. That's a really good way of putting it. Because then they see, oh, we're going to address all of it. And Chris knows about this stuff and he's taken an interest in my, you know, nobody's ever talked about diet and, you know, mental stress and that effect on my back before. But at the same time, I'm going, yeah, I'm not the guru in all this stuff. Like, you know, we, we need to be, especially with the mental and emotional health, we need to be mindful of, we need to acknowledge that with patients and we can help ease mental distress, but that doesn't mean that we step into that role of being a counselor. That's, yeah. you know, there's, there's big ethical boundaries we need to have there. No, definitely. I mean, I found that I started asking a few years ago on my, in my examination, you know, in my history take, you know, how stressed are you, you know, low, moderate or high? Um, and are you coping? Yes, no kind of thing. And the amount of stuff that people just spill out at you, because yeah. you're the only person for ages who's asked them how they are really. And it's, it's useful because obviously, as you said, you have to carefully go, this is a bit I can help you with. And this is a bit that you need to see a, a proper, you know, talking therapist who's qualified to deal with this stuff kind of thing. But it's quite interesting because, you know, if you ignored all that stuff, you know, all the kind of emotional stress or what have you, you're never going to get to the, you're never going to completely solve their physical problems because if yeah. they and you're going to wonder why they're not following your advice and you're going to think oh they just don't care enough yeah i guess you know that I, that line always triggers me like, oh i guess they just didn't want to be better it's like they, they came into your clinic and paid you money they want to be better they weren't dragged there against their will the fact that they didn't show up for the follow-ups or they haven't done the rehab you know there's there's possibly other reasons for that and they don't want to get better <laughs> 
I think it's a bit like fibromyalgia. It's like, okay, a diagnosis of exclusion. If you can rule out every mm. other possible cause, maybe we'll say they don't want to get better. Yeah. Maybe. But I, I don't think I've ever got to that point. Um, and yeah, it doesn't mean we have to fix all the problems, but just acknowledging them. Yeah. That's that good. Have you heard of the, um, what's called the ACE study, the Adverse Childhood? Oh, yes. I've got, um, yeah, I've got that guy. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Like, um, yeah. Because that was, I mean, to me, that that does two things. A, I think the original study, they just asked patients, they had this questionnaire of, you know, difficult things that could happen in your childhood. And they just filled it out. And then when they went to see the GP, the GP said, would you like to talk about any of this? Mm. And some people said no, and some people said yes. But six months later, the people who reflected on that went, wow, that was actually quite helpful for me. Yeah. I never talked about that. The fact that I was really bullied as a kid when I was growing up or the effect my parents' divorce had on me. And it, they really remembered that long term. It really built that trust with that doctor just because they took an interest. And the other things they found is that the more of those experiences you get, the more likely you are to get obesity, diabetes, certain cancers, heart disease. So, you know, I always think that's important to bear in mind when we have a patient who isn't following our advice. Mm. It's really easy to dismiss them or think, well, they're just not trying hard enough. And I'm, it's certainly when it comes to weight, if you're not someone who struggled with your weight before yeah. it's very easy subconsciously to have that bias of oh someone's overweight it's because they just they like food too much or they're too lazy and we might not like to think that but that can creep in yeah. and it, I think it's really important to remind yourself that actually there might be some really really good reasons why they're struggling with that and it doesn't mean we, we even have to ask them I don't ask all my patients this stuff no but just remembering that could be there you know the the amount of yeah, we don't have to go into it but the amount of abuse and things that happens to people when they're younger yeah. The effect that happens on them as adults can be huge. Yeah. So the what's the the it was Robin Williams, wasn't it? Mm. He had that quote of, you know, everybody is always fighting some battle that you know nothing about. Yeah. Like, you should be kind or I've mangled the quote, but it's something like that. No, I know what you mean. It's you don't know what's going on. You don't know what's happened to somebody that yeah. day. So be nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know what? They haven't done their exercises, they didn't follow the advice, they they missed that visit. It doesn't mean you go, oh, it's fine, don't worry about it. But, you know, just you can be a bit mindful. If there might be a good reason, maybe they don't want to tell me that. Yeah. And they don't have to. You know, they don't have to yeah. share that stuff with us. It's not, it's not vital. Exactly. So if, you're, if, you know, someone's listening to this and they're going, yeah, maybe I should improve my communication skills. How do you, I guess to start with, how do you know if there's a problem in your communication skills? That's say? a good question. Um, it's difficult to tell because, like I said, you don't know what you don't know. Um, I find Dunning-Kruger of people sort of overestimating their skills when it comes to communication is pretty common. Mm -hmm. um, so it can be quite hard for you to spot. One of the things, I, I, and I do this with all my, um, all my associates, is we go through, we call it a patient outcome tracker. So it's basically a spreadsheet. We go, right, go back four months, look at all the new patients who came in, you know, when did they come in? Did they have a review? Where are they, do they have an upcoming appointment now? Have you discharged them? Just work out where they're at. And I always say to them, I'm not expecting you to make everyone come in. Mm. Some people will go, yeah, I had two visits. That neck pain's gone. Thanks very much. Yeah. Like, that's fine. But I always say we want to see with them either they have an upcoming appointment or they've been discharged. Discharged just meaning you've had a conversation with them and agreed they're not coming back for now. That means you know where everyone's at. If you don't do that, it's really easy to start just seeing your successes and forgetting your failures. And often it's quite, I go through it, and often it's quite sober and go, 
oh yeah, I thought all my patients really follow the plan, but oh yeah, those there's five new patients there who I'd forgotten didn't come back. So that can be quite a nice objective way. Um, I think the other way is just if you're if you have quite a few difficult patients, mm. or if you have sort of repeat frustrations with patients not getting it, or if you notice that you know some patients come in and you go, oh, they're just not my kind of person. And you kind of, you get that sense at what visit one or two, we're like, ah, they're not going to come back. And you just notice yourself go, ah, well, well, I'll see them as long as I see them, but I'm not going to get too invested in them because um, they're probably not going to come back or, oh, we didn't really connect at the start. Um, so you kind of, you don't write them off, but mentally you kind of, mm. maybe you kind of do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice about it. But yeah, if you notice yourself kind of going, ah, oh, there's some patients I just don't get and they don't come back and that's fine. Um doesn't mean they all have to come back but it's a sign that maybe there's certain personality types mm. or there's certain communication styles that you're you're struggling with and it's easier just to, if, if you can fill the diary up with new patients it's easier to go ah well don't worry about them than it is to go okay how can I actually address that and maybe improve it somehow so then how do you start improving your communication skills like say you go actually either I don't know if I need to improve them but let's guess that I do or I've had a few patients that maybe I felt that I didn't know what to say or that I said something that clearly was exactly the wrong thing to say. So I want to start improving. How do you start to improve them, would you say? I think at the start, it's quite important to take the pressure off yourself. Um, so, you know, when I'm training chiropractors, if we're going to do something new, I say don't try and do it with the patient. Don't wait for your next report of findings to completely try that. Practice it first. That could be on your own. Yeah. That could be with a friend, with a colleague you know, with a, with a team member, you know, just write out, type out an example script. I don't believe in scripting these things, but example scripts can be really useful because then you could, especially if you're typing out and go, oh, actually, oh, I'd word it that way. Oh, there's a bit too many words here. Can I trim this down a bit? So doing that, recording yourself just on your phone on a voice note, um, but practicing it, you know, you want to practice it so that when you're with the patient, they're getting your practice version. I think too many of us, we try and improve it by, going oh I'll do that next time and then we just kind of wing it yeah. and the patient's getting our first attempts and really if we want to do like you'll get better that way yeah but if you can practice it in advance that will make a big difference and and just asking people for feedback so I'm, I'm quite a big fan of saying you know what do your report of findings to a friend of yours who doesn't really know what you do who yeah. has no real interest in chiropractic who's never had treatment they don't know anything because that's the position a lot of your patients are in and just ask them did that make sense? Were there any moments where you had to stop and think, where you weren't listening to me because you were going, oh, wait, would, would that mean this or that? Or was there any jargon I used? Because we all use jargon without realizing it um, a lot of the time. And getting the feedback from somebody, because if you ask your spouse, like we forget how much our spouses and how much our, even front desk teams, they know so much about what we do. Yeah. They can't spot the jargon. Um, so I think recording it and doing that, that can be a really good first step because it allows you to stop and reflect. And often you record it and listen back and go, oh, I didn't realize I say um and er a lot there. Or I didn't realize I kind of hesitate yeah. around it. And if you're listening back going, oh, I'm getting a bit of an uncomfortable feeling, it might be, you know, you're probably getting that as you're saying it, but you're kind of masking it and you're trying to just keep going. So that can be a really good opportunity to stop and reflect and go, what is it that I'm uncomfortable with here? Where has that come from? Is that valid? Is that something that maybe I need to address? Is that something that, oh yeah, I, I keep getting nervous about this, but I know I don't need to. And that's the first step, you know, spotting that, okay, I can reflect and spot this maybe a bit of an issue here. 
that's already going to give you some signposts as to what changes do I want to make for that. Cool. That's really interesting. Um, and something you said a moment ago about discharging patients, because I don't think many of us actually discharge patients properly. Do you think? No, we don't. <laughs> I, I know I don't. Like, I'll hold my hand up here. I don't, you know. So how do you have a procedure that you do or do you recommend people do it? Or is that because it's an uncomfortable conversation? We don't want to feel like we're bothering people by speaking to them or. Yeah. And, and you know, I get that. And you certainly you know we uh, it's just become the language that we've used. And I really don't like it. But we talk about recalls and I really hate the phrase recall because it sounds yeah. like we're dragging people back in. But, you know, our front desk, they'll go through and they'll they, the software can do this now. It just produces a list of here are all the patients who've seen you over the last month or the last couple of months who don't have an upcoming appointment. And then they give me that list and I look at it and go, oh, yeah, no, that was Rosie. That's fine. We said we're going to leave it here for now. Oh, yeah, John said he's going on holiday. He'll give us a call when he's back. Maybe we'll make a note to see if he, you know, if we haven't heard from him a couple of weeks after the holiday, we'll do that. Um, but we just go through it. And all it is is for me to look at, do I know where all these people are at? And some of them, it's like, oh, they disappeared and I don't know why. And that to me merits a phone call. Yeah. Now, if they don't pick up, I'm not going to keep calling them and chasing them. I'll, I'll leave a message. Yeah. But I, you know, I, what I don't ever want is, is it being left where I think, I don't know what happened to that patient. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Did they decide, oh, actually, I'm feeling a lot better. I think this is something new graduates often struggle with. And I say to them, no, you should be the one making the phone call, not the front desk. Very easy to farm it out to front desk, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And look, I that. <laughs> generally say for a new patient, the first time they're called, it should be by their clinician. Carries a bit more weight. It doesn't seem like it's a, hey, where are you? Can we book you back in in the same way? Um, but also for new graduates, I really recommend it because when you're at that point and the imposter syndrome is so high, you assume everyone who didn't come back is because they didn't like you and they thought you were rubbish. Yeah. And again, that thought's in the back of your head. You're letting that hide in the fog. When you call these people, yes, you'll get them. You know, not that they think you're rubbish, but you'll get some people who went, yeah, it just wasn't working. I'm going to try something else. But then it's like, okay, I know what that is. It's not this big monster in the closet. It's a manageable monster that I knew was there. But you also get the feedback from people who go, actually, no, I was feeling great. Yeah. You know, they, most patients don't realise how much we care about them in a way. And they go, oh, I don't need to come back. I'm feeling better. And they go, oh, well, I'm sure Chris knows that. And they don't realise we're there going, whatever happened to you? <laughs> Why didn't you come back? Yeah, yeah. So it, and, and once the, this is the other thing I often talk about when it comes to like reviews and referrals and things like that. The best time to wait, for, you know, don't ask somebody for a review when they've got the results they wanted. Mm. it's the best time to do it is when they're enthusiastically making progress because i've had this you know with patients who i remember one woman in particular was getting chronic crippling headaches and we worked for months and she was so much better and she was mm. so grateful and so thankful and over the moon you know she wasn't enjoying spending time with her kids and all this stuff and you know it was like oh my god you've changed my life and about six months later i bumped into her in the supermarket and she had no idea who i was <laughs> No, I was like, it's Chris. And then he said, you know, from the car, and I'm used to patients because they see me in the supermarket and think, I don't, I know this person, but you know, you get that kind of awkwardness because they don't know where they know you from. And I can go, you're probably a patient if I recognize you. Um, but I said, you know, from the chiropractic clinic. And she still went blank. It's like, you know, you would, and I started thinking, oh my God, have I just approached a stranger? And thought it was, it was, and then she went, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't I see you for like I was getting a I was getting headaches or something? I was like, 
you're for three years crippling headaches and six months after I'd last seen her she that was her new normal and she just yeah. forgot and I it was like oh yeah I went there I paid for some treatment I got what I needed I got what I paid for yeah they're not thinking about that again no <laughs> it was a really humbling experience to go oh yeah even the life-changing ones you know you you play a small role in the movie that is their life exactly like, sometimes and it's an extra as well in the grand scheme of things oh, yeah. oh god um, Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know how I got onto that, but yeah, I think it's they. They often they forget about us quite quickly. Yeah. I mean that's okay because you know we shouldn't be the hero. We shouldn't be the star in their show. And I guess maybe that's a different way of looking at. And actually, quite an interesting from talking to his way of thinking about it is differently. Is it's not about you know in my world it's not the rosy chiropractic show. It's yeah, it's, yeah. You know, and maybe that's a good mindset to have. Is to it's less it's the chiropractic and the treatment stuff is less important to the patient than it is to me. Like yeah, a lot of people and the do... reasons why we do it and what it does and the cool neurophysiological effect, blah, blah, blah. Like you need to know that stuff as a clinician, but it, it's, it's for you. I say this about the exam findings as well. Their, their exam findings, that's for you. Yeah. That's so you know what to do. Now you're not going to not tell them any of it, but you don't, I used to do this. I learned, um, what was it called? SFMA, Selective Functional Movement Assessment, years ago. Yeah. And it was like going through every joint and every region and checking it in all the ranges of motion. And I was doing this with patients. I was like, yeah, look, you came in with a back problem, but look, I've just given you a hip, a knee, a foot, and a shoulder problem. You know? <laughs> some, like, I remember some being really impressed, going, wow, that's so thorough. I've never had that before. And some left, yeah, thinking I'd given them five new problems. They left feeling broken. Yeah. And I never meant to do that. That was never my intention. But wanting to explain all this cool stuff I found partly because I was feeling a bit insecure and I wanted to reassure them look look how much cool stuff I know look how smart I am um and it, and it can definitely backfire um do you know the the hero's journey Joseph Campbell it rings a bell but I can't um it's a, it's a really good friend so I, I use this in, in, in my course and my, everything to do with reporter findings now it's he was like an anthropologist and he studied cultures all around the world ancient cultures modern cultures right the way across and what he found is when he looked at their myths and their legends and their stories they um they all have the same kind of basic structure and this is it's the structure of what he called the hero's journey and every hollywood movie that's been a success follows this same structure okay. every religious tradition their their messiah their originator whoever it was has that same story arc there and it's, it's the natural way that we understand the world through stories. And, you know, I, I now I use that to frame the report of findings. My report of findings is basically going through the patient's hero's journey. Okay. And the really key thing that clinicians have to get in their heads is that we're not the hero. We're, we're the guide. Yeah. We come along at a certain point on their journey to help give them special skills, special knowledge, special help, so they can complete the journey. And that doesn't mean we come in, we help them a bit and we leave. You know, they may be coming back for maintenance. They, mm. might, they might need some sort of supportive care. But they're the ones who are the hero. They're the ones who are going through that journey. Too many of us kind of want to be the hero and, and rescue the, you know, damsel in distress or whatever. Um, and it's, I think of it a bit like, you know, Star Wars is a good example because um, George Lucas wrote that. He had lots of conversations with Joseph Campbell. He really, when mm. this is the story arc, so he really deliberately put it in. And we're not Luke Skywalker. No. we're Obi-Wan Kenobi our job's to come in train them and then potentially leave or yeah. at least you know maybe be there in the background but we're not Luke Skywalker that's for the patient to have 
that's it. a good thing I am not Luke Skywalker. I like that. I remember that. Um, and and finally, so if people want more help, you, you offer some courses and stuff, don't you? Um, obviously, we'll put some links in the show notes, but it's it is helpful to get someone who has gone into it in more detail like yourself to help you rather than just like bump. I mean you can bumble on through but obviously if you have someone who knows what they're talking about helping you that that helps more doesn't it yeah yeah and I it's it's funny I part of why I got into this is I had a really good start in a lot of ways as a chiropractor I was a second generation chiropractor I worked in family practice um you know I, my natural interests and skills aligned well with it so I was really fortunate in a lot of ways, but the one thing I didn't have was a mentor. I didn't actually have somebody to take me under their wings. So I had to work all this stuff out myself. And that's kind of what's got me into patient-centered training and the education side of things is I think, man, if I had somebody who could have shown me this stuff at the start of my career, like I could have been flying. And it's really lovely to see not just new graduates, but other practitioners taking this stuff and running with it. Um, and now, yeah, I've, I've put it all into an online course now. So if people do want to learn that, I'm convinced this is actually the future now. I, yeah. I'm a big extrovert and I love live events. Like I, I, and COVID hit and I was like, oh God, like I was about to go to Norway to do a seminar there and stuff. I was, it really gutted me. I was like, well, I should produce an online course. Everyone's been saying I should do that. And okay, yeah. maybe I'll do it. And it's, you know, can you learn communication online? Is it really going to work? Um, but I did it. And actually now having run people through the trial version and launching the, the final finished version, I think it's better. I don't know if I'm going to go back to doing live seminars now in the same way, because a live seminar, we cram everything into one weekend yeah. and people forget 90% of it within a week or two, but with an online course, it can be paced, you know, it's over, I think 14 weeks now. So here's a few skills, go and practice that for a week. Yeah. Here's some exercises to implement that and then come back. And, and that's how you would learn at college. That's how children learn. And people can come back to it, I guess, if they need to refresh their brain to go. Exactly. Oh, yeah, they've got that. It's not like, oh, yeah, I'll, what did I write in that seminar? These scribbled notes. What's that about? Um, yeah, that was actually quite uh, that was quite an eye opener for me is when I started going back to people. If I'd given a, you know, a workshop at their clinic or a seminar, you talk to them a week or two after people are super enthusiastic. And then you talk to them six months later and you go, oh, they kind of they've taken some bits but they mostly went back to doing what they they did before because they didn't have that ongoing support and that reference it's hard um, to make a change isn't it yeah yeah because it's you you know you're going into your stretch zone when you try something new and if if they're hitting a roadblock people aren't going to stay in their stretch zone after a bit they go well i'm going to go back to my comfort zone because that wasn't working um and you know so they might pick up one or two bits but it didn't really create lasting learning so all of that's to say this this online course um you know, I think it's a much, much better way to learn. So there's there's 14 hours of content I've recorded. It's all in small bite-sized lessons. Um, you know, you've got access to me as well. There's a members-only group you can practice things. There's lots of little exercises. Um, there's quite a few resources to just help make sure people stick with it because I'm exactly the same. Most people who buy online course don't finish it. Yeah. Um, I think the statistic is something like 85% of online courses aren't finished. So the, the first trial actually was good fun because I really wanted to up there. We got that to about 50% on the initial one, which I'm really happy with. Good. I want to get it to 85% the other way. I want to get like, no, 85%. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. That's somewhat out of my control. But um, yeah, so all that's to say, we, we've got the course there. If um, I'm reading Bob in the show notes, if people go to patientcenter.co.uk slash HPP, that's the Happy Patient Project. You can find all the information there. Um, we'll be launching that fully very, very shortly um one, oh yeah, one, one extra tip if you ever start a business don't pick a word that's spelt differently in the states 
Yeah. Um, centered is not spelt the same UK and US. I actually ended up buying both domains yeah. so that it would redirect that. Um, but if you want to find me on Facebook, you have to use the UK C E N T R E D. But okay. I think you said you can pop the notes in the show notes. We'll put that, yeah, we'll put that in. So you can... if people just have questions, just reach out. I've, I've got the patient centered chiropractors Facebook group. It's not just for chiropractors, anyone can join. Um, you know, jump in that. Ask the questions, drop me a minute. I love chatting to other people, whether they're in the UK or around the world. Um, you know, it's not like a, yes, you want to talk to me, you have to buy my course kind of thing. Um, if you've got a simple thing you're struggling with and I can send you a little resource or I can give you a quick answer, we'll just do that. Yeah, perfect. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes so that people can easily get hold of you. But um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That has been so super interesting. And I have learned a lot just from, from listening to you talk. So that's been brilliant. So oh um, I will just say goodbye. So um, thank you for listening and goodbye. Lovely. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like more hints and tips, then why not join my Facebook group, The Practice Builders Community? The link's in the show notes. And I look forward to seeing you there.